I talk a lot about Shudder on this show. So why not have a guy who's got three films on that streaming service? Stillborn, Z, and more recently, Superhost, all streaming on Shudder, which is basically the Netflix of horror films. I'm just going to throw this out there, a little plug right now. Again, Shudder's not paying me a dime for this. I just love the platform. If you haven't subscribed, it's a good time to subscribe. It's October, and there's a lot of spooky stuff you can watch on there. Like those three films I mentioned, all directed by Brandon Christensen, who's here on The Basement today, to do a deep dive into his origins. He's from Canada. He lives now out in Las Vegas, and he's been making feature films for a few years now. We're going to go over that and the things that have inspired him along the way. So sit back, relax. It's October on the basement. Hey, Brandon Christensen. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the basement. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you. I'm I'm super glad you're here. I've um uh, Brandon's uh I'm gonna tell the audience a little bit about you, but then I'll let you take off here with whatever you got to say. But Brandon's a filmmaker, he's got three films on Shudder. And as you know, I'm a big fan of Shudder. I've devoted many episodes plugging it, even though I'm not sponsored at all by Shudder. Shudder's not giving me any money but I freaking love Shudder. Uh, yeah, Brandon, Brandon's a film. Brandon, go ahead. Talk about yourself. I don't want to talk too much about you. Uh, okay. Uh, well, I am a filmmaker. I've got three films on Shudder, and uh, Shudder doesn't pay me for any... No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm a horror filmmaker that has these three films, uh, Stillborn Z and Superhost, which just came out in September. Uh, yeah, I'm originally from Canada and I live in Las Vegas now and I'm constantly just trying to figure out what the next project's going to be. Interesting. Yeah, I'm <laughs> in the same boat kind of, but we'll talk about that off mics. Uh, Vegas, like I heard you mention that on a previous podcast that you were mm -hmm. on, um, a Vegas filmmaker. That's how's the, how's the life of a Vegas filmmaker? Um, I mean, it's, it's different. There's a, there's a bunch of Vegas filmmakers. I mean, I don't, uh, I've, I've lived here for 14 years now. I think I came here from Toronto where I went to school, uh, and got a job at like a production company that was, you know, very corporate and event sort of facing. Cause that's, there's, there was anyways. I mean, I, I think it's changed a little bit since COVID, but Vegas was kind of the place to do kind of corporate events and stuff like that. So all these kind of, you know, like CES and you've got uh, NAB and all, all those kind of giant trade shows. And so I think like for a Vegas filmmaker, most of your time is spent in these corporate ballrooms, just filming that and, and, you know, I mean, it's interesting because there's a lot of money to be made here if you're you're doing that kind of day to day thing. But the problem is there's so much of it, too, that it can take away your time from, you know, dedicating it towards, um, you know, making films and stuff like that. So there is, um, you know, there is a community of filmmakers and they're all really friendly and they're all really cool. Um, you know, they're all on kind of different levels of where they are in their careers and stuff like that. But you know, I think I think a lot of the people that come up in Vegas, they end up going to L.A. because it's so close. So right now it's just like, uh, you know, there's a there's a handful of us. Um, I'm here. I'm married. and I've got kids and stuff like that. So I'm pretty kind of planted in 
but um yeah i mean it, it's cool i mean my, my my first two films we shot up in canada and so this was the first one that i actually shot here that i directed which was kind of nice to sleep in my own bed i looked up kind of locations of if mm. i see a film that i'm watching i like i immediately have to get research and i want to know where it's <laughs> shot so that was out in out wow interesting i mean i know nevada's got this side of it that isn't desert I guess. Yeah, no, no, it's really weird. I didn't know about it when I first moved here, but it's a place called Mount Charleston. And it's about, uh, I live up in the northwest of the city, but if you're on the strip, it's maybe 40 minutes from the strip. Uh, you just take the highway up and then get off the highway and you just kind of drive through the desert and it's slowly like the vegetation starts changing into Joshua trees. And then all of a sudden there's a lot of rocks and then all of a sudden there's like big bushes and then boom, you're just like, uh, you know, surrounded by tall pine trees. And it's, it's, it's really cool. Um, I love just going out there. They, they used to have a big breakfast place up there. I say used to, because it just burnt down like a week ago. Yeah. So it's kind of like a nice escape from the heat. Cause it's usually about 20, 25 degrees cooler up there, but yeah, it's, it's just sort of a place that, um, I've always wanted to take advantage of because it doesn't feel like Vegas at all. And just, uh, we, you know, we had the opportunity here. That's awesome. I, I would have pegged it for like Northern California at first yeah. when I watched it. I mean, I, I I was in the Bay Area about a year ago, probably when I shouldn't have been traveling. But mm-hmm. um, and that, funny, I was staying at an Airbnb. But <laughs> we'll get into Superhost in a little bit. I mean, that that's cool. I've always thought Vegas. No one ever talks about like the film market mm-hmm. in Vegas and whatnot. But like every year, there's always a film out or a TV show or something that where they at least do something in Vegas for a little bit. So I, I mean, that, that, that's cool. I didn't know, like, I didn't know Vegas was had this really yeah. thriving market, but that's it's cool. got it. I mean, the commercial side of things is really big too, because I, yeah, I believe it. Yeah. Like a lot of big companies come out here and they do all their advertising, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely not like a huge production place, but um, you know, there are really good crews here. There are, uh, you know, there are, there's a number of projects, but I think really the corporate side of things is kind of like what the city provides the most for the the film community, which is, you know, it's, it's kind of a blessing and a curse because you can make a good living, but you don't end up making films. And that's, that's, that's a tough kind of cycle to break. Yeah. I, I've, I've been there with Boston to reference that because it's, there's Netflix and HBO was in there a lot. And, uh, you know, I'd go work on sets eight years ago. I wasn't getting anything made or wasn't at least writing or anything, but moving on, let's just, let's talk about you. Like how, how far back does making films or wanting to make films go for you? I mean, I imagine some, some people say it was childhood. Some people say it was five years ago. So how far back does this all go for you? It goes, <clears throat> sorry, I drank, drank some water down the wrong hole, but uh, it goes really far. I, my, we had a camcorder <clears throat> that we bought in 1993 that we got for Christmas and I had three siblings and we would just basically film stuff all the time. You know, like we, we had like our own long running um, superhero show, I guess you could call it, but it was just kind of like stupid skits and things like that, that we would film constantly. And uh, I mean, I have all of them, which is really cool. Like I, I posted little clips on my Instagram recently, just uh, just sort of going through and you'll see like 1994, 1996 kind of it goes back a ways. But I mean, you know, that's still just kids kind of farting around um, in 97. Some friends and I, we, we shot pretty much like a 50 minute film 
which was kind of Metal Gear Solid inspired, but slowly turned into a parody. And it's just, nice. you know, dumb stuff like that. Like we would constantly be shooting through high school too. And then, um, yeah, just kind of got to the point where like I, I was starting to take it more seriously and my friends were kind of off on their own paths. So there wasn't really a lot, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's also partially like you get into your own head and you don't want to take risks and put yourself out there and find new people and stuff like that. So um, <clears throat> I, w I ended up uh, enrolling in Toronto Film School and spent two years there in 2004 to 2006. And, uh, you know, uh, a lot of networking, a lot of opportunities. And, and this was back before like the DSLR craze. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, gear was a lot harder to come by and the, the digital kind of revolution was just starting. So it was kind of an interesting time. I mean, it was so expensive to get your own stuff, but they gave you an opportunity to kind of play with, with gear and, and try things. So I, I kind of got into music videos when I was in in film school and, and going down that path. And yeah, that kind of just started the career for me. Awesome. Yeah. I gear always scared me a little bit. I don't, I, I, so I was, I always kind of flocked to screenwriting. I don't know. I guess I'm equipment makes me like, <laughs> like even when I got a camcorder when I was younger, I didn't pick it up and start using it after a few months. And then I made a, like a three hour horror film that was, <laughs> I, I said, I, people are going to hear me say this multiple times on the show. I, it was pretty much Halloween meets silence of the lambs. Like nice. It was like the FBI tracking down Michael Myers. <laughs> Hold on, let me, let me write this down. Silence of the lambs meets Halloween. Okay. Got it. Keep going. Uh, send it over to Jason Blum. If they want <laughs> Blumhouse wants to get past, like make a fourth installment to their right. trilogy. They'll reboot do. your movie. <laughs> Son of a bitch, Jason Blum. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, like, I feel you with the camcorder stuff and goofing around with friends. I mean, when I was like 12 or something, we just made Jackass was big at the time. And we obviously didn't take it to the level of Johnny Knoxville right. or anything, but we just filmed each other, you know, sledding and falling off of a sled. But that's funny. How old are you right now? <laughs> I'm 33. Okay. I'm 36. So, all yeah, right. So, we're, similar. we're kind of, yeah, we're the same, same you age. Just grow a better beard than me for some guy i just started talking to yeah everybody talks to me about my beard you should you should very just, manicured i like it it's just i honestly people tell me how do you do it and i just go well, i just got forgot to shave things are busy <laughs> yeah right now it's just it's, it's nice to, it's a good look it's a good look yeah this is this is what my wife likes but eventually in a couple of weeks she's like what the hell right. are you doing man <laughs> but um what other like so obviously you were a creative kid it seems it sounds like did you have like besides picking up a camera like what other creative signs that showed up when you were younger? I mean, I definitely like drawing. I, you know, I've, I was pretty advanced at drawing when I was really little, like four or five. Um, some of the stuff was, was pretty, you know, uh, well realized, but uh, I never really kind of took anything seriously until um, I was much older. It was just kind of one of those things like, <clears throat> you know, we had video games and we had the camcorder, but it was just kind of like, uh, I don't know, I, I never really, I, I liked the idea of writing back then, but, you know, unless it was for school, I never did it like recreationally or anything like that. My brother was more of the writer where he would constantly write and write and write, and I never really had that. So um, I definitely hit like a, a, a funk where I was playing a lot more video games than I should have been and kind of missed that like prime period where I could have been learning. But, you know, it, it's, it's all good. It's just... Uh, uh, you know, film, I think film was always kind of like the one thing that I really wanted to be a part of. 
no, I, I feel you. I got stuck playing sports in high school and I, I only played football, but Mm -hmm. I always like loved AV class. Uh But of course in high school, AV class, you just, you don't, you just make stupid things. Like, right. You think you're making like a Kung Fu video and (laughs) it's, it's just not, it's nothing. Right. But, um, what were your like early inspirations or even if we want to go into contemporary inspirations, whether it's filmmakers or films, like who did, what, what did you kind of flock to? Uh, I don't know. That's, that's tough. I mean, I definitely watched a lot of horror when I was a kid and growing up, you know, it was always kind of like that you were trying to find the the next scary thing that you and your friends could watch and kind of like chase that high. Totally. And so that was, you know, that was definitely something that was running kind of parallel with my childhood but um, like inspiration, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a tough one because uh, it, it always seems like it's such a far off thing to do. You know, like you 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 see these movies, you see the Jurassic Parks, you see these things, and you're just like, you know, they're they're just like magic on a screen. You don't really think of it in terms of like, oh, I can do this, you know. And so it wasn't until you know I was 18, coming out of high school, where the idea of like a film school kind of materialized and it's like, Oh, that's interesting. Like I can actually attempt to have a career in this thing, you know? And like around that point, like, cause I took a year off, I went to an IATSE training, the international oh, crap, I guess the union that's about to strike, but mm-hmm. all like the, the, you know, the big uh, union that they, they have like for, uh, for films. I, I did the training course for that and like all the set etiquette, things like that. Cause I didn't know how to get into it. So it's kind of like do the course and then you can sign up and maybe be a grip on like TV shows or something like that. And um, I did the course. It was like a three day course. And then I just never took the paperwork in because I'm lazy and I didn't want to take that commitment to it. You know, I was like, I was a bartender and a waiter at the time. So I was just like, oh, I'm making good money. I kind of like, you know, I enjoy being around people and stuff like that. And I, I don't know why I never took the paperwork and it was such a simple thing, but I mean, it might've changed the the trajectory of my career. If I'd done that, like I might've been, you know, in the sort of the grip department or something like that and, or production design, I don't know, but yeah, just sort of like, you know, when, when I went to film school, I, I definitely got, I was able to get my hands on cameras and, you know, meet people that wanted to do the same thing. And it kind of unlocked sort of the possibility of being able to do stuff and then it just became like a, a matter of figuring out what my voice was. Interesting. Most people, most people come on the show and I say, what are early inspirations? And she, they just, they give me like three films, but no, that was, that was actually, that was a really cool answer. It's kind of like a, a, your journey in like three minutes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough. I, I, I mean, I'm sure like when we get off, I'll be like, Oh my God, it was, this movie was, you know, a hundred percent a big part of why I wanted to do it, but really it just sort of, it was, it's just sort of like bridging the gap between this, you know, the separation of the audience member and the filmmaker. And it just sort of, I bridged that when I was like 18 and I realized that it was something that I could actually uh, go for, you know, cause until then it was all the things that we were making, they were just for fun, you know, just for ourselves. There was never any seriousness yeah, and or, or realistic, you know, real attempt to kind of push into that. So it was just sort of like, you know, late teens, just sort of figuring out like, Oh, you know, maybe, maybe it's worth a shot kind of thing. I feel you on that because I've always thought there's like a period in my life where maybe it was, I'm talking about me, but I'm just, I'm trying to mm-hmm. connect with you here. But like, there was a, there's a period in my life where maybe I should have been just like 
you know, nose to the grindstone trying to like write scripts at, you know, like 16 years old. Right. I can't write scripts at 16 years sure. old. I'm not Aaron Sorkin. Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, who knows? Maybe there's a 16 year old out there who is just, you know, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. It just hasn't been discovered yet. Yeah. But even then the business will get involved and, you know, mm-hmm. never hear from him. But yeah, I just feel like there was a lot of like, for, I've been watching movies my whole life and mm-hmm it didn't really happen till maybe like my early twenties when I would see stuff and it was kind of bridging that gap. And I go, mm-hmm. oh, okay, you do it like that. Right. That's how this happens. This is cinematography. This There's is a technical part of it that you're starting to notice. Yeah. Like I, I want to say, and, and I, I want to say it was no country for old men. I'm just dropping some titles here. Mm-hmm. I went into that thinking like, cool, the Coen brothers. Right. Awesome. I, I didn't even really, fucking know who the coen brothers were honest i knew right. like of them but and i remember sitting in the theater and thinking this is such a well-crafted film of mm-hmm. like that that shootout in the middle of the street in the middle of the night where you don't really see javier bardem but you see mm-hmm. like the muzzle flash of his shotgun yeah and i remember going like oh okay so this is like cinema right all right i want to do something like that Right. Where it's not just content. It's not just like a show or something like that. It actually has like a cinematic purpose. It's like made, there's a purpose behind the shots. There's purpose behind the character and the dialogue and everything. It's like, it's not just sort of thrown at you. It's, you know, it's crafted. Um, Yeah. And just sort of seeing, you know, once you kind of peer behind that curtain, I think it it definitely changes the way you think about film, like as a, it is a thing that can be created and avoid, you know, different voices can come through and kind of, uh, and it's not just like this nebulous film. It's the Coen brothers are two guys that they're, they're making this film, you know, that's like their, their, their art is, you know, you're watching their art, which is kind of um, different than other people's art. Yeah, man. So why horror? Why the genre? Um, it's definitely a multifaceted answer, um, you know, to get it out of the way. I mean, the commercial side of things is definitely very prevalent. I mean, it, it's always tough when you're trying to make a feature film and you're trying to figure out what you're doing. You can, you know, you can make something personal and make something for yourself and, uh, you can do that and it'll very likely be a giant failure because no one really cares. But if you kind of look at what the market's doing, look at what, is out there and what people want like right now uh and it has been for a while just horror is kind of like uh the inquenchable unquenchable uh product that just like there's so much of it it's insane and it's been going for like 10 15 years or something like that where it's just horror has become less of like a schlocky kind of thing it's a real genre that people take seriously which is why you have like things like A24 and stuff like that popping up and the, the Jordan Peele's going into it and stuff like that. It's just, uh, you know, you can tell a scary story with a purpose and with a heart and, and, and things like that. So, I mean, it was definitely part of it was it's just like, this is a, a viable vehicle for a career to start, you know? And then you go into the other reason, which is kind of the more personal stuff is it's like, I, you know, like I was saying, I, I grew up around horror when I was kind of cutting my teeth on short films, horror, I feel like works really well in short films because you're typically working with like a gimmick. You know, there's like the one idea that you're building to, there's the jump scare, there's whatever. Um, so it, it's a, it's an easy way to kind of just tell a three to five minute story uh, that kind of ends on this punchline. And uh, I think, you know, there's so much creativity as a, as a director 
that you can use in horror because you know a scare can be told many different ways so it's just like how do you how do you pour, pr project that idea of the scare uh onto the audience like what's the most effective way and kind of finding that and figuring that out and so i, I did you know i dabbled in some short horror stuff and it just sort of led to my first feature being being a horror film because it was just kind of like you know, because of the, the obviously the commercial side of things and just sort of the sensibilities of the way I was shooting shorts and stuff like that, they kind of matched really well. You mentioned horror shorts and like how they have that, they they all have that same kind of flow and it hits with the, the scare right. at the end. I've noticed in short films, it's either horror films or comedy that mm -hmm. kind of flow the same way. Totally. And I've always noticed a parallel between those two genres. And I mean, people try to blend it. Some people succeed at it. Some people don't. Right. And, but I, I, there's definitely a same pattern with it, you know, except in one, you end up, you know, scaring the crap out of mm -hmm. your audience. And there's one, hopefully you deliver on a punchline. Do you, right. do you think there's a similarity between comedy and horror? Yeah, I, I think those are the two genres that most closely match each other because, you know, a punchline and a scare are very similar. Like you have setup and you have payoff. So it, it's it's two. I think it's the only genres that can really elicit like an, a response, a, a rap, like an instant response. You know, if you laugh at something, you can just sort of burst out laughing at a really good joke or you can, you know, jump at a big scare and you can re have that big reaction where you're, you know, your gut tightens up. But, um, you know, you look at dramas and things like that. They can still evoke a reaction from you, but it takes time and building like you're not just going to instantly start crying because one thing will, you know, happens like you're not just going to it's just a different kind of thing. There's more of a build up and a, a climax compared to what you can do with horror. I mean, horror is so broad that you can do that as well. Like there can be the slow burns and, and things like that, where you are kind of building to the dread and all that but in general i mean comedies you can do the same thing where it doesn't have to be a gut busting thing to be a comedy it can still just be funny and it can be light you know you look at like woody allen stuff or something like that like it's just sort of a tone but yeah i think i think horror and comedy are are the closest linked genres the problem with comedy i think right now is that unless you've got that headliner actor like a seth rogan or a jonah hill or a, someone of that you know level you're not going to be able to penetrate the market at all. Like you're going to be stuck just sort of like, Oh, it's a nobody led comedy. Whereas I think with horror, the idea leads first and you know, kind of the gimmick and, and whatever the story is, that's what people are interested in rather than like, Oh, that's that guy I know, or that girl I know. Um, it's just a little different in that sense. Yeah, I got you. And that's a perfect segue into your films because I think all three of them, kind of have an idea that leads and pulls the audience in so i just want to talk with stillborn about stillborn for a sec sure um first of all there's a line in this movie that i, <laughs> I just I, I i was watching it and i just i re-watched it i watched it i think when it first came out a few years back and i re-watched it again just for this episode and i forgot the delivery of the the neighbor or not the neighbor the uh the woman who also lost her child where she says that bitch who's trying to steal your baby uh -huh. was such a fucking just like kind of cool moment and like it was in the middle of the movie it was like a kind of cool moment that propels the plot forward right is but, this a um, trailer moment <laughs> oh i like never saw the like trailer tra I, I went oh, in okay. blind like I, that's what i do on shutter i just see sure. something go yep doing that <laughs> but like how did how did this one how this come together so in 2015, I was, you know, just sort of in my own little, I was doing commercials and corporate work and stuff like that. 
And then uh, my friend Colin Minahan, he was getting ready to do, uh, I think it was his third feature at the time, or maybe his fourth. Uh, it was, it stains the sands red. And so he had this script that was, you know, a desert zombie film and they sent it to me and I read it and I was just like, you know, I live in Vegas, the deserts all around me. I was like, I, I just was, I kind of took like a leap of faith. And I was like, guys, you should come to Vegas. Let's like scout some locations. Let's look at it. And they basically, him and Stu, who they together, they made up the Vicious Brothers at the time. They came out to Vegas, spent a few days, and I kind of had set up a bunch of locations to um, to scout. And they were just like, you know, I think I impressed them with just my my can do attitude. And they were just like, you know what, let's just do it. And so they they just basically went back to L.A., got their stuff and then came back and we shot the film uh, like November, I think of 2015. And so it was kind of just this leap of faith where I was like, okay, I've got, I got to drop all my client work for two to three months where I, so I can just really just focus on this feature experience. And uh, you know, there was no money. It was such a low budget thing. They're just, like, I didn't get, I, uh, I never got paid for it. It was just like that kind of a situation where I took the time off, took a huge risk. You know, I had two kids at the time and it's just like, this is going to be, this is what I want to do. So I just sort of did it. And, um, you know, we, we got through production. It was crazy. And then uh, as Colin was editing the film, he was just like, you know, just casually like, well, what do you want to do? Like, what's your, you know, do you want to do a movie, blah, blah, blah. And we just sort of started discussing the idea of the next project, you know, I would take over and I would direct and he would help produce. So the, you know, the, the conversation of ideas came up and it was, it was kind of like, we had just spent, you know, four weeks in the desert, just dying, driving two to three hours every day to get to set and shorter, you know, it was just a, a horrible physical experience that uh, we were just like, well, what's the opposite of that? And then we're like, let's, you know, let's do a house movie like the Blumhouse model where you have like sinister insidious, you kind of have this one location and you do as much as you can in that you maybe add some scope by doing a couple days elsewhere but for the most part you're kind of focused on this house and so I started thinking of my own life and I had this idea about a woman having two babies and losing one and so you know it's just this sort of initial germ of an idea that Colin and I you know kind of discussed for a little bit and then we just jumped into script you know writing it and I I'd I'd had some feature uh, writing experience. I'd written one script, which never went anywhere. And it was constantly in like a cycle of uh, re you know, writing and rewriting. And, but, you know, Colin had a lot of experience. So he kind of, you know, shepherded the whole kind of, you know, breaking down the story, all this stuff. And, you know, it was a huge learning experience. And, uh, you know, we came, it was like three or four weeks later, we had a first draft that was pretty solid. And, uh, started looking for money and, and sort of, it came together really quickly, you know, and a couple months later we were on set. Nice dude. No, it's a, it's a it's kind of, you mentioned that the Blumhouse model. I, I forget, like, it didn't even phase me. Like, cause the, you got like a really big house. It, it's, <laughs> it didn't really phase me that it takes place predominantly in one, one thing, yeah. but it, it's funny that's my parents house so it's your parents house <laughs> well we had another house that was uh i was i was staying there because my parents live in calgary and we were planning on shooting in calgary because the baby in the film was my brother's and so we kind of scheduled it around their birth and uh that was you know we we this house was just kind of like under our noses the entire time because i was staying there but I wanted to shoot in like the model suburbia, like every house is the same every, you know, 
that was kind of the the idea in the script but um a week or so before the shoot the house that we had pulled out so it was just like this frantic weekend of calling every real estate agent that we could think of and just like looking for a house and you know we had no 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 traction there so i ended up just asking my parents and they moved out for like a month just let us kind of take over so yeah, it was it was just like a very lucky thing, but it was it, the biggest problem was like we've got these leads that are you know they look like they're twenty five and they've got this giant you know nice house on the lake. It just so we we added one line in the script. It's like Jack made partner, and then it's just hand hand waves <laughs> away anything like that. <laughs> I mean, you could have fooled me. Like they 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 seemed like just. I don't know. They didn't seem too young. I was, right. I was, I went along with it. That didn't bother sure. me, but yeah, no one does, but you just think of it as a writer. You're like, Oh my yeah. people are going to get like, so gonna focused this on this right here. Yeah. That's good. that hand waves the plot hole. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, working with a baby. What was that like? <laughs> it was, was it um, babies? it was just one. We had a fake baby too, that we would put in for like uh, lighting and stuff like that. Or if it was, you know, in the corner of a screen or something like that, it wasn't kind of focused on camera, but um, yeah, it was interesting because you are, I think legally you're only allowed to start working with a baby when they're like 15 days old. And we did not wait that long. We started shooting and it was like six or seven days old. So the first time you see the baby, not, not the birth, but like there's like a cleaning montage in the, the first morning where she sits down on the couch and you see the baby. That's like a six day old baby in that shot. Um, so it was, it, you know, you kind of have to schedule a lot of the stuff around the baby. Like you, you shoot the baby out of the scene first. Like anytime there's a close up, just get that out of the way because my brother or my sister-in-law, they would have to be at that, you know, be there for it. You know, this was their second baby, but they, uh, they, you know, they had to be there. They couldn't just drop off their baby and be like, you know, have fun. See you tomorrow. So there was a lot of just like the emotional component of being like, I need to get them out of here, even though it's, you know, it's 4 a.m. And they're just, you know, we've got to shoot the scene so we can get there, you know, get them home and stuff like that. But yeah, we were, it was, it was, it was, it's a challenge. I mean, you need a baby to cry. It took a long time to figure out how to make a baby cry on command. And the key was placing a cold can of pop against its face and hold it there until it starts crying. That was the, that was the key that we found out. <laughs> Interesting. I'll note that for later. If it ever happens to me. Yeah, for sure. But uh, one final thing about it, Michael Ironside's in this for a couple scenes. Like mm -hmm. just, I, I'm just a fan of his, like I'm down right. into fanboy here, but I've, it just goes all the way. I mean, obviously there's scanners, but I saw scanners later in life. Mm -hmm. um, but like, my favorite performance of his is in total total recall he, right he's like the first villain i like love to hate when i was a right. kid but like what was it like working with him I, i've i've heard him on podcasts and he seems like a very kind of down to business actor but yeah he, he was awesome so i mean we we initially cast someone else in that role but they got cast in a marvel show while we were in production so there was kind of this giant hole in the middle of the script where it's just like, you've got this one character, the all knowing kind of um, character. And Colin had worked with Ironside on his movie extraterrestrial. So he had the agent's information, the contact stuff and the, that relationship. So I guess, I mean, this was all happening while I was directing scenes. So I just remember, you know, there was whispers like we're going to reach out to Michael Ironside. And then, we were shooting a scene one day and, you know, Colin just comes up behind me and he goes like, Hey, we got Ironside. And it's just like, you know, as a first time director, you're just like, Oh no. Like, you know, you're working with these younger 
younger cast that you know are are not Michael Ironside and it's just uh you know it's just like that is weighing very heavily like I don't want to screw up that day you know and so he came to set for just one day we had him for the two scenes and uh it you know it was there was a lot of apprehension everybody was quiet everybody was on their best behavior you know like we were all super dialed in that day but it, it was very apparent immediately that he was like super cool like he there was no there was no ego or anything involved like he wasn't michael ironside he was just like another actor on the on the day so he came in and he was like really helpful and nice and he had ideas and he had you know thoughts that you had to listen to because it's michael ironside but um yeah it was it was a super super cool experience and i got to drive him to the second location and we got to talk a while you know like 30 minutes or something like that just about his career and and things like that and it was you know it was super cool and then he left and flew out the same day and like a couple weeks after we wrapped the shoot he somehow tracked down my email and wrote me a nice email just sort of thanking me and being like we should do it again so um yeah it was a super it was a super positive experience working with him nice because i i like actors like that like yeah character actors that are still kind of popping up and stuff whether it's mm-hmm. just you know independent films or whatnot like my my one claim to fame and it wasn't anything i directed it was i was on the crew mm-hmm. was a film that got sold to lifetime back in like 2015 it was i don't even remember the title of it but <laughs> it was with um so i worked with ted levine okay i was uh work i was working in the sound department and you know, this is a character actor who's shown up in a ton of things. I mean, I, I can't necessarily, I'm not like sitting here saying like, I'm a, I'm like a fan of a fanboy. I mean, he's a great sure. actor, but you know, I remember like showing up in the hotel room the, the night before we started shooting and I had no clue what was going on. And I had no, no idea what the movie was, nothing. And I remember saying to the guy I was bunking with, I'm like, who's in this movie? And he's like, uh, Ted Levine. And I was like, Buffalo Bill. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And they're and he's the guy I was with says like yeah the producers say yeah don't bring up the scene you know the famous scene where he you know tucks his wiener between his legs right. and dances around like don't do that like I won't but holy shit I don't know I guess I just kind of like actors like character actors from right from that era of like you know 30, 40 years ago they're still just popping up and things I I just think they have like the best stories. Mm-hmm. I don't think we even said what the plot of Stillborn was. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, that's fine. I just want to drop it real quick. Uh, it's about a, a woman who loses one of her two babies uh, during birth, and she starts to have the feeling that something is trying to take her remaining baby. It's funny. I haven't talked about this movie like as that much in the last four years or whatever, so it's uh, I'm not as polished when talking about, you know, trying to pitch that film. It's been yeah. a while. But yeah, scary demon baby movie. Yeah, it's it's pretty. Uh, I don't know. It's pretty dark. I dug it. But yeah, um, it's very dark. Uh, let's go with this. Let's just uh, jump into Z real quick. Sure. The next the next film on Shutter. Uh, all these are streaming on Shutter, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. What like? Do you love the creepy kid genre? Because holy shit. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I've always liked it, like the Village of the Dams and uh, Children of the Corn and stuff like that. Like there, are, there's just something so creepy about kids when they're not, you know, kids. Are, it's kind of like clowns. Like kids are supposed to be cute and friendly, and then when all of a sudden they're not acting the way that you expect them to, similar to clowns, it's just like it's very off. 
you know, it's this innocent thing that's all of a sudden not. So, you know, Gage, I think from Pet Cemetery, just that was like the freakiest thing ever. And it's because it's like a four year old, which is insane if you think about that kid's performance. Like he was like four and he's amazing. And then he went on to like, you know, Full House and stuff like that. But um, kindergarten cop. <laughs> kindergarten cop. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's amazing just to see that kind of performance from a kid because it's you know I, I think of like the good son this is a tangent but you look at macaulay Culkin and elijah wood they're like 10 and 12 and they're carrying an entire film like it's it's really cool to see that it's just like something you don't really see that much anymore you'll see kids as part of the film but not you know leading the whole thing and of course macaulay was already a star at that point but but still um yeah. So, I mean, uh, that's part of it is just like kind of a, a general interest in, in kids uh, horror. But um, I, you know, at that point I had a kid in kindergarten. And so I was sort of seeing a lot of new development things. And that was kind of the starting of that story was just like, um, you know, you got a kid that's all of a sudden not home all day. He's going to school and he's learning new things and he's bringing those new things home. So there was kind of that, like uh, the conversations with my wife at the time, were you know what 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 kind of things could he bring home that could be like really bad and she dropped the idea of an imaginary friend and it was just like oh that's interesting so we just had this long discussion this one night and we were just sort of you know like oh the you know what if it did that you know he had all these random ideas about imaginary friends and just sort of kids at that age and it just sort of slowly turned into z and so yeah it was just it's just creepy kids are creepy. And that's kind of just where I was as a parent was seeing kids, you know, that's, that's kind of my thing. Yeah. With, I've always noticed with kids, maybe it's just cause I look at like a lifespan and, you know, there's when you're a kid and when, you know, you're older, elderly, I should say kids have this weird connection and maybe that's because they are put in horror films as kind of these people that are, close with ghosts or they talk to ghosts mm -hmm. i've always made this connection and this isn't a fact or anything it's honestly just an opinion but uh you know maybe because they're at the beginning of their life and you know they're they've come from something that's oh, maybe right. beyond us that like maybe they have this close connection still to it because i i was thinking about this after i i watched it and um again this was a rewatch for me but I just thought about like when I was maybe not the kid's age in the film, mm -hmm. but when I was like, I don't remember anything before four years old. I have spotty right. images in my head of some select moments or even up to probably when I was like in first or second grade. I mean, I think that's mostly for anybody, mm -hmm. but I always kind of ponder like what the hell maybe I have seen. Right. And I just, I think kids are maybe because they're not close to death, but they're close to pre-life or pre-life that maybe they just they see some trippy shit and they're not even really processing it either right so. yeah i guess it it just you know yeah that's that's interesting i think i think part of it too is just like the they're not exposed to the truth as much you know so there is no grounding for anything that they're experiencing like they they don't have the facts where they go like oh you know i saw something a shadow move over there in that corner it was just a car driving by outside and it cast, you know, reflected its headlight or whatever onto whatever they can immediately go into somewhere a little bit more fantastical where they don't have that grounding where they can, you know, explain it away. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely something there's the, the way they perceive events is definitely something that changes over time because of their experiences. But, um, 
yeah it's it's definitely super interesting and it it it's good fodder for horror films <laughs> yeah it makes you think of the 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 what's that or the why phase when they're just mm-hmm. constantly asking stuff as they're trying to maybe process things but right uh, i think you may have i don't really know if i need to ask this after everything you just told me but it's just kind of a personal question but since mm-hmm. you told me kind of how the film originated but like did did you have an imaginary friend I didn't have an imaginary friend. I did have um, a a kind of horrifying relationship with Pennywise the Clown because I saw uh, the, the It miniseries when I was in kindergarten and just the, I don't know why, but uh, it, it stuck with me for a long time. Like I would always have the same nightmares about Pennywise being in my closet and my brother and I would have to, you know, he would escape and we would have to deal with it. And it was just like, it's just one of those dreams that you always have. It's always the same, you know, maybe slight differences, but it has like a feeling attached to it that I still sometimes get as an adult where it's just like this weird tightness in your stomach where you're just like groaning that you have to deal with this thing again. And I'll sometimes get flashbacks to that. But um, beyond that, I didn't really have any of those imaginary friends. What I my, my oldest son, before we even came up with the idea, was, he was around four or something like that. He did have... He was he was afraid of the girl in the closet with the green eyes. And that was something that he would say to us. And it turned out to be something from a video game. But, uh, you know, when when a when a kid comes up to you and says that it's it's another one of those things where it's like my wife and I, we we know that there's not. But how do you explain that to a kid that is not, you know, they just have no way to really understand what you're saying because they don't have that same life you know they they don't have any way to ground that information in their kind of subconscious so they they continue to be scared about it and so i think we definitely drew from that a little bit when we were talking about z there's this thing out there i mean maybe you've heard of it a kinder yeah kinder kinder trauma okay it's uh it's pretty much well there's kind of like they refer it with films Mm -hmm. Uh, that like aren't necessarily horror films but just like something scary in a horror film that or not in a non-horror film that scares a kid and it just kind of haunts them and right i I don't i can't remember like a kinder trauma moment off the top of my head right here on the show but i just since we're sharing i have and it's kind of funny actually at least i hope so my (laughs) my dad had this painting or poster on his wall in his office and it was of Gorbachev, okay, Russian whatever. Sure, we <laughs> yeah. all had those. <laughs> and I don't—I forget what it said. It was something that's supposed to be funny. I had—I was terrified of it. I don't know right. what about. And I remember I had this nightmare. If you want to call it a nightmare, it was a nightmare for me at six or seven years old, mm-hmm. where I went down. My dad's office was in the basement, and I went down, and you know, I just like looked at it, and mm-hmm. he jumped out of the poster. Right, me upstairs, and I, I like woke up crying. I said he's got to get rid of it. (laughs) Like the next day, we went to my grandmother's house, and I remember like on the way home, I'm like, Dad, you're gonna get rid of that poster of Gorbachev, right? Mm -hmm. He's like, No, I'm not getting rid of it. (laughs) But it's just, I think it's just little things like that with kids that totally just kind of startle them. So for again, I did it again. We didn't really say the plot, but Z is about a kid with an imaginary friend and things go kind of south real quick right yeah i think that's an easy way of putting it but i I think i think what you just said you know you look at movies like it chapter one it has i I think it's stanley's dad in his office he has that 
the weird painting of the woman. I mean, I, I, I get the idea is basically what you said, but I think the execution, like that drawing could never be not creepy. You know, like there isn't the non creepy side of that painting. Um, and then you see something like, I think it's the conjuring two where they did the nun painting and it comes out and, it, and it's super scary. It's a similar thing. I think a lot of kids have had that thing where you're staring at a painting and it's just like, the more you stare at it, the more you see, and the more you see just like things start to go weird on it. Um, so I, you, you, you know, I think a lot of kids probably had a similar experience where there's just like a creepy painting that it just makes you feel off. And so I think that a lot of filmmakers now that had that, they're putting it into their films because that's what they felt. You know, every, yeah. a lot of people are always drawing on their experiences. Yeah. All right. To the main event, kind of why I reached out to you, uh, Superhost. My, my wife and I watched it and my wife doesn't, my wife is the typical woman doesn't watch a horror movie, but she'll watch murder documentaries. Mm -hmm. That's my wife. It's crazy. (laughs) You won't watch anything. I did get her to watch midnight mass and we just finished. Oh, we're in the middle of that right now. We're about to finish it. Yeah. I, I, I dig. I, Mike Flanagan's just firing on all cylinders right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I told my wife what the plot was and how it involved an Airbnb and no, that was enough. And I, the thing is, is I kind of, I went into it blind. Like I knew what was going on. I'd seen the trailer. It took me right. a couple days to hit play. I told her, you know, what it was and everything. And, you know, it felt like a horror comedy at first. I felt like right. that's what you're kind of going for. And then holy shit, the last 45 minutes, I remember just like, I don't want to give anything away. It's a very new film and it appeared on Shutter. Uh, about a month ago yeah by the time this airs it'll be about a month and just like the way this thing ends is like okay i started in one place and the way this is ending right not what i was expecting so just talk to me about superhost what what's it about let's make sure we start with that and whatnot uh superhost is about two travel vloggers that check into a a vacation rental which has a a host that will do anything for a good review that's the official log line. I came up with it. That's what it is. But yeah, there's uh yeah, I mean it's just it's kind of like a social media um slash uh you know Airbnb type horror film. It's uh it's definitely a lot light more lighter than my first two films, Stillborn and Z, both in tone and in color. It's uh, you know, it's a it's a daytime horror film, which is which was kind of fun to do because you're not doing crazy overnight schedules, which was really nice. But um, yeah, it was fun. I mean, it was a big challenge because we shot it during COVID. So a lot of the, you know, even the writing and stuff like that was based on the the limitations that we expected to have. So, you know, you look at the cast list, there's literally four people in it, technically five if you count a body that you see later. But um, there's there's only four speaking roles in the film and there's basically two locations. There's the house and then there's a forest location. Yeah, it was it was definitely just sort of the thing was like, how do we how do we just minimize the amount of variables in this script and how many, you know, and and uh, and just sort of in the production of it, because we were kind of in, uh, of you know, untapped ground like it was just like there's you know, there wasn't a lot of answers for how you handle shooting and during covid. You know, I, I'm speaking about Midnight Mass. They had the similar experience where they were going into production in March. And then everything shut down and they just sort of waited until they were able to shoot again in like August, I think. And they were like one of the first productions that Netflix had going in the, in, in the pandemic. So, 
yeah, it was interesting because just it was super low budget. We tried to keep our uh, everything down. And when we found out that like 15% of our budget had to go towards COVID costs, things like tests and things like having a COVID safety officer, it was just one of those things where like all of a sudden you're peeling things back from the already small budget, like uh, assistant director, PAs, um, all these positions that you normally have. And we just didn't. So it ended up being just, you know, me, the producer, Curtis, and uh, a crew of six, uh, you know, out doing this film, plus our COVID safety officer. And it was just like, it felt, it was kind of cool because it was like, felt like a student film in a way where it's just like, you have the bare minimum, you just are doing it for fun. But, you know, we had great actors coming in and doing this whole thing. So it, it was just like a different kind of challenge. It was kind of, it, it was, it was fun just not, not to not have all of the, the luxuries that you typically have, like, uh, you know, people looking at the schedule every day for you, you're kind of breaking it down and you're trying to figure it out every day. And it was just, you know, it's kind of a, a wonderful nightmare to go through. You, wow, thank you. You just kind of answered my first question because it felt this has to be filmed during COVID when they decided yeah. to start shooting again. Like this is very little cast, two locations. You're out in the middle of nowhere, basically. Mm -hmm. Like there's no way this wasn't filmed last year. Yeah. This, this, it didn't feel like something that wrapped at the end of 2019 or early 2020. And right. Just got bumped. But I mean, this, to go on the topic of, you know, such a small cast, but mm -hmm. um, like, how did you find like the, all the leads in this are, I think are really good. The, the, the couple in the beginning, you know, mm -hmm. I think they're great together. And I think I, I like that the direction that the two of them go, how, again, I don't want to give anything away, but, and obviously you're crazy, you're villain. Like how, right. how did you find these people? <laughs> um, Sarah Canning was the first person on. She, she, she was on, Z, she was in Z. She played the sister. So we, we, you know, we'd been friendly since then, even though she was only on Z for, you know, three or four days. But um, I kind of, you know, when I started writing this thing and I needed sort of a strong female lead for it, I, uh, I had, you know, her in mind because she's a very, you know, she's a strong female. And um, so I kind of reached out to her early on when I was writing. I was like, hey, I've got this script that I'm writing and I had you in mind for this lead, this lead role. And she was, you know, she was really interested. And then um, Osric, he is roommates or was roommates with a friend of mine who has produced for me in the past, um, you know, some commercials and things like that. And she, he was in uh, her feature film that they did called empty by design, which was a, uh, you know, coming of age kind of uh, story. And uh, she, you know, spoke super highly of him and just sort of how he works and, and just, you know, they were, they were very close friends. So I thought that I thought that that would be interesting to kind of, you know, start chatting with him about the script and, and it, it was just like the whole process of casting this thing was because we didn't have enough money for a casting director. We just sort of had to cast friends and friends of friends. So in keeping with that, you know, Osric came on board and he had, you know, we, we were able to go really deep on the script and talk about a lot of stuff, which was really cool. And then uh, the third person was Barbara Crampton who came on and she, you know, the, the script kind of, uh, I like to have these kind of, roles to put in the veteran actor that they can kind of be there for a day or two and do the scenes and sort of add a little bit of um uh, recognition to the film like someone a trailer face or something you know that kind of thing like with michael ironside basically. <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah and so um 
she had actually emailed me. Uh, I don't remember when it was 2019 sometime about some other projects. She had some scripts that she, you know, she likes stillborn and see. So she was just reaching out to see if I'd be interested. Um, nothing really ever came of it, but I had her in my Rolodex. So when, when I had this script, um, I was just like, I should just reach out to Barbara and see what, how, you know, see what she thinks. And so she read it. She thought it was great. And she was just kind of, yeah, let's do it. Like I'm on board. And then Gracie, she was the last person that came on. And, you know, that was always the scariest part was like, who is going to play this role? Because it's, you know, it's the, the titular character and it's, it's such like a, it's such a big swing for an actor to take, you know, it's, there's so much there to kind of, you're, you're constantly chewing the scenery. You've kind of got these, you know, monologues and you've got this insane ending. So, um, it was just kind of a thing like again like Barbara hooked me up with some actors that I talked to Sarah had some friends that I talked to um, pretty big names that like you would know and then you know everyone's kind of busy doing their own things and then I was talking to uh, Sierra McCormick who uh, was you know she's been in like BFW um, former child star she was in the vast of night she she was interested in the script but she was shooting what's the movie that just came out that she's in it's uh we have to do something. I think it's called. Oh, I've um, heard it. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. So she was shooting that in Michigan uh, during the time that we were shooting. So she's like, I can't do it, but you should reach out to my friend, Gracie. Um, you know, I think she'd be really great for this. So uh, I, you know, she gave us all the information and we, we emailed each other and we started chatting and uh, Gracie and I had a call and it was just, you know, a really positive call where we talked about her background in Disney and how I, you know, the idea of, that just like being a Disney star was and just putting on that kind of elevated performance, not only for the role, but for like the media and the press that you would be doing where you're constantly being the best version of yourself because your audience is tweens and stuff like that. Um, I thought that that was super interesting. I was just like, that's who Rebecca is portraying herself as. It's just like the best possible version of herself. And then the cracks start showing as things kind of keep going wrong. So then you get into your more darker side. And, you know, she was totally into it. And uh, yeah, we just, we just kind of offered her the role and, and we got the performance that we did. And, it, you know, it was, yeah, you it, did. Was, it was fun. Cause like uh, the first week of the shoot, um, it was only 18 days and the days were shorter than I'm used to. Um, so it was a very, you know, it was probably like 60% of the length of the shoots for Stillborn and Z. But the first week of the shoot was just uh, Osric and, and, and Sarah. So it was, it was a very different, movie when we brought Gracie in on week two because it was just like you know we're doing the kind of creepier quieter moments in the dark and like the any any time they're together that's what we were shooting in the first week and then all of a sudden we're introducing this third party and it, it you know her energy that she brought to the set was just kind of this weird it was just a total tonal shift for everything the production for everything because it was just all of a sudden you had this really high energy character playing and you had this high energy actress that was playing it. And, and it was just like, it was just a different dynamic that came in. So it was, it was a lot of fun to kind of experience that first week, which was very tonally similar to what I've done before, where it's like creepy house movie stuff. Mm -hmm. And then to bring in this craziness, uh, it, it was, it was definitely a lot of fun. So yeah, it was just like the, I guess the, the answer to your question was we cast from friends and friends of friends. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah. the, that's the not 15 minute version. No, that that's completely fine. I, I don't mind at all. It, it's when I found out Barbara Crampton was in this, I, I of course jumped at it. She's 
a titan of the genre. I mean, totally. from all the way back to the eighties and nineties. She's mm-hmm. so, I, I, I just, I've kind of always just admired her career trajectory, how she mm-hmm. just was in just like these standout films throughout that time. And then she just goes and takes care of her family for, you know, right. 15 years and then boom, your next comes out. And I'm like, right. Holy shit, it's Barbara Crampton. Right. She's back. Yeah. <laughs> like now she's just in like, you know, nonstop, you know, films left and right. I mean, she's totally, she's, she's a, she's a goal to hit, to try and get on the show at some point. She's, uh-huh. she's like Tom Brady. She's just like, she's just so good and confident that she just like is just having fun now. Like she knows what she's doing. She's yeah. got total confidence in who she is and she's just going out and doing the projects that she wants and performing. It, it's really fun to watch. Cause she, you know, I've never seen, I mean, just speaking, cause like I've had those actors in the films where they come in for a couple of days or whatever, and they, they do their thing. But with Barbara, like she came in, and then she left, but she never really left. Like she was constantly being updated. Like she saw early cuts. She, um, when the movie came out, like she was pushing it like crazy on social yeah, media. Yeah. You know, like you don't see Michael Ironside tweeting about Stillborn, and it's it's not his role, but it, it's just like, you know, she yeah. just loves to do this stuff. She loves indie horror. She loves horror. She just uh, so yeah, it, she she definitely see. Sorry, I mean to cut you no, off. No, 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 you're good. She definitely like she seems like she doesn't she gives a damn and she i does. i just always admire that in talent and on-screen talent actors mm-hmm. or actresses you know when they especially for like indie film stuff if, if they have this big career that's i don't want to say behind them but right. they have this big resume and they still go out and they do films you know i mean i'm you know she was just in a supporting role basically mm-hmm. you know she was in like three or four scenes and the fact that, you know, she still went out and just plugged the hell out of this movie. I mean, I follow her on Instagram. She was plugging it a lot. And totally. I think the night I watched this, I did a double feature. I did Superhost, and I, I still hadn't seen Jacob's wife yet. So I okay. just popped that on too. Right on. Yeah. Uh, moral of the story, Barbara Crampton's cool. Yeah. She's uh, super cool. What a couple questions, couple more questions here. Like what kind of messages were you trying to convey in the, in the film? Cause I, I sensed like a, a commentary on the influencer yeah i mean it's not really the influencer per se because i think that a lot of people do good with their statuses as influencers and stuff like that so it's not really attacking that or the career choices of people being in like the youtube community and stuff like that because there is you know there's a lot of successful people that are doing good things um i think it's more about the people that try and exploit other people and they use it you know they they unknowingly or against their will sort of try and get content because they think, you know, if they can point a finger at someone and laugh or whatever, whatever, whatever it is, making someone else the butt of a joke that they don't want to be a butt, you know, that's kind of, that's a definitely a darker side of that whole kind of, uh, um, you know, part of the internet where it's just like, Oh, it's just a prank, bro. You know, that whole side yeah. where it's just like, I don't want to, I'm an unwilling participant in your games and you're exploiting me for money and things like that. So I think, I think those side, that side of the, the sort of culture is, is what it's more talking about because um, you know, I think that it's just, it's, it's really scummy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? No, that's, that's how I, that's how I felt. I felt that I was like, Oh, they're kind of the, the couple in it. They're, they're, basically kind of i didn't really feel like they were influencers but i felt right. like you were kind of touching on the influencer lifestyle but at the same time you weren't 
necessarily like trying to be negative towards it. Like kind of basically just what you just said kind of clarifies how I felt about the film. Like you were, you know, these are people too, is what you were kind of touching on. And that was the hardest part of the script was just like, we have these two characters who you meet in a specific way. Like they're making their, their, their content and they're putting on that face, you know, like similar to how Rebecca does it in the film. She puts on that, that face. Like they're all, there's these three characters that are all pretending to be someone that they're not in different situations and you know uh, uh, the biggest problem you don't want these characters to be unlikable even though they're kind of doing something that isn't something that the audience might you know kind of sympathize with like oh yay their their internet channels down like who cares but if you can insert something and that something is sort of claire's worry that they're they've peaked they, you know, they can't afford their own bills anymore. Teddy's parents have to pay for them. Um, and just sort of the, it's very emasculating to her who is kind of the alpha of the relationship um, that there's just no way to provide for one another without maybe getting another job or something like that. Like this whole thing that they've been building for years is kind of collapsing. And, um, you know, it seems like only one of them is taking it seriously because the other one is kind of a built-in safety net. Um, and so, it, it, you know, it's just sort of adding something like that, which which could you don't really have to sympathize with. But at least if you can understand it as an audience and be like, OK, I get why they're doing what they're doing. Um, that was kind of the, the hard goal of the film, because once they take some, you know, they make some decisions, there's kind of no turning back for them. So if you can get that far and at least understand how they got to that point, um, then, you know, then I think we're OK. But it, it was definitely a challenge. So. Uh, you know, and even during production, like we shot some of the earlier scenes where they're kind of, you know, talking about their channel and things like that. And after the fact, we'd be like, man, she's coming off too strong still. Like she was, she would be um, too assertive and too strong towards Teddy. And it, it just like the big fear was like, we don't want people to be totally put off by her. So we, we came up with new scenes and reshot scenes like near the end of the shoot where we could soften up her character and her performance. Like there's the scene early on when they're on the balcony and, you know, she's just talking about how she's worried that they've peaked. And that was just like a, a scene that we just had to put in there because it's just like, we need to soften up this character. Cause right now she's so aggressive. And so things like that, that was kind of the nice part about having a small crew and having the small team is just, just like, we had that ability to bounce around. Like you're not doing huge lighting setups or huge camera moves or anything like that. You're able to kind of just focus on the characters and, and build those moments. Nice, man. Nice. So You've got three films on Shutter. What is like? What's it like working with Shutter? They seem like a cool company. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're they're a super small company. They're constantly growing like crazy. I mean, yeah. you know, like Z came out last year in May, and uh, you know, Superhost this year in September, and just in that fifteen month or whatever gap, uh, it you can just tell that the, the 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 scope of their reach has expanded quite a bit. Like the social media buzz from Superhost was humongous compared to stillborn and z like so many more people were talking about it which was really cool to see but um yeah i mean they're there it's it's just a cool service that uh you know you can i I feel like i'm i've got a pretty tight relationship with now because you know i've got three with them and um it's it's just cool that they exist you know like there's no there's no comedy service called chuckles and there's no you know like I'm writing that down. You might be onto something. (laughs) I know. But, you know, it's just like there isn't that 
service. It's like horror is so big. Like we were saying earlier is it's just like the, it can sustain itself because horror is so broad. Like you can look at the stuff on there and just sort of from week to week, the, the differences in films that they put out is insane. Like you'll have the slasher series, you've got something like mosquito state, and then you have something like Superhost, and those are all so different or Jacob's wife, which just came out on their platform um or martyrs lane whatever they're all just like they're you know they they touch on so they're not paying me to say that but there's <laughs> they're uh they you know they, there's it's just horror as a genre is so broad that they can sustain that like you look at netflix amazon hulu those channels they put out some horror but it's very specific like it's very commercial stuff they're not taking chances with like you know some crazy punk rock horror or something like that it's all just like very very something you'd see in a theater so yeah it's just like it, it you know it's been fortunate that i've been able to kind of craft my career with them uh supporting me because you know there's so many people putting out stuff that it's it's hard to sometimes gain some traction and sort of get eyeballs or get you know get into the festivals or things like that so having sort of their blessing or their backing or, or just being able to pick up the phone and call them and just like talk about stuff um you know it's been it's been pretty sweet because uh you know i'm sure a lot of people they just don't have that connection right now. So being able to have them, it's cool. I, I've always just said I've wanted to be like their Mike Flanagan, like he is for Netflix. Just put out shit. That'd be cool. That's a hell of a goal, man. Uh, I think you're kind of on your way to that. Uh, kind of wrap things up here. Just um, what's next? What can you talk about that's uh, huh. if you can't, then, you know, I understand. I get how it works. But uh, is there anything coming down the pipeline? Um, yeah. So there's... Um, I was actually supposed to be leaving in like two weeks to start prep, prep on a new film that we were going to shoot in Serbia, but it got pushed just because the financing hasn't come in yet. And it's just like, it's the first time that I'm not, you know, directly involved in those conversations, you know, like raising money and stuff like that. It's a bit bigger of a, of a budget and a scope. So I've got a new producer and that I'm working with and um, yeah, they're kind of just, it's just sort of, things are a little bit slower. There's just like a, you know, so we were hopefully going to be shooting this year, but it looks like uh, we'll have to push into like January, February, but it's kind of a college campus, supernatural slasher movie, I guess. Maybe you could call it that. <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of like a final destination type thing with college kids. It's uh, it's pretty cool. My brother and I wrote it together. It was the first thing that we've ever written together. He's, you know, like I said a long time ago, he was, he he's been he was always the writer of the family, and so it's been cool to kind of tap into that and, uh, you know, not and and have someone that you've kind of you know known your entire life and work together for the first time. It's been it's been really fun, and he and he's got the the diligence because he's written so much uh, that he can just sort of sit and he wants to write, you know? So he's just like, he's great at just sitting and putting down words. Whereas I'm like, I hate writing. I, I'll do it if I have to, but I, I do it out of necessity. So having, you know, a partner that just like really wants to do it is, is, is really cool. And um, yeah, so we've been writing a bunch of stuff. We've got some other things that like, there's, there's some stuff that if it happens, you'll hear about it, but it's one of those things like it's a, who knows the, the, the whole, uh, you know, things kind of come and go, but um, yeah, we're kind of just building up a slate of films that we can potentially do. And I'm hoping that this one in, um, in January, February goes, cause it's, you know, I'm just kind of itching to get back on set and just do it all over again. Cause um, it's fun. I feel you. 
I feel you. Uh, well, good luck with that. And um, last question. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we want to follow you or whatever, let's just, I don't know, what's your, what's the Instagram handle? Where can we find you? Where can we stalk you on the internet? Hopefully nobody uh, stalks you. <laughs> yeah. yeah Instagram. <laughs> no, it's good. Instagram. Uh, my handle is the Brandon Christensen and Twitter is something like the Brandon C 85. They don't allow as many characters as Instagram. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's I, I don't I don't know. I need to be better about social media stuff. But yeah, it's uh, I try and keep it going right now. It's been it's been fun with Superhost just to see the 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 interest and whatnot in the film. Definitely, yeah. It's it's definitely a it's it's a fun horror film. I mean, like I said, the last half kind of caught me. I still loved it, but like the last half caught me off guard. I didn't know you were going in the direction you went. Right. And honestly, thank God you went in that direction because I think it works perfectly. Yeah, Brandon's got three films on Shudder. If you have Shudder, you should probably watch them. If you haven't, uh, Stillborn, Z, and Superhost. And um, Brandon, thank you for a good show, man. This was awesome. It was nice yeah, to it was talk fun. to you. Nice to meet you. you too. And um, as for everybody else, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review for Tyler Geis's Basement. If you like what you're hearing, uh, hopefully you do like what you're hearing. I don't know. I've been doing this for too long now. But, <laughs> um, I always screw up the outro. Do, do they have basements in Florida? No, but okay. <laughs> so just to kind of <laughs> like literally when I was I was thinking of titles for this for this show, and it's uh-huh. so, it's a callback to when I was younger, and we were just we would be in my parents' basement, which was stacked right. with records and movies. <clears throat> we would all just hang out, nice. and just talk stuff you know that's but, good um all right well thank you again for a great show and i'll talk <laughs> and we will talk to you all next week on the basement